This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 157, Comic Reviews of the Week of Wednesday, March 26th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 157. It's the Comic Reviews episode for the week of Wednesday, March 26th. And I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Thank you for downloading the episode and the show, uh, and for your, also your continued support if you're a returning listener. And if you're not, thank you very much for giving this uh, podcast a listen. Uh, I really appreciate it. This is uh, definitely a, a work of passion. I definitely love comics and love talking about comics as much as humanly possible. Uh, so I try to put together uh, two episodes of the podcast every week, one of which I talk about the comics that came out the previous week, and the other where we I try to have guests if possible, um, friends and family that I have and in my life who also like comic books or other uh, kind of geekdoms. Uh, recently we uh, put up, uh, we've started doing a, a regular feature on Star Trek called Talkin' Star Trek with uh, my longtime friend and also uh, periodic co-host of the podcast, Tibor Mate. Uh, actually, I don't even know if I introduced myself. I'm Adam Chapman, by the way. I'm your host of Comic Shenanigans. Uh, anyways, this is the reviews episode, which is where we, uh, it's our weekly reviews episode in the odd numbered episodes. Uh, this is going up late Tuesday night. Probably more likely this is going up Wednesday morning. So you're about to get your brand new comics, but just before you're about to read your new comics that are coming out on April 2nd, take a listen, spend you know, the next 20, 30 minutes list with me, talk about the books that just came out last week, and then you're ready for the new week. Anyways, uh, usually before I record the podcast, I've had a chance to read a variety of the issues that came out the previous week and given them a rudimentary rating score anywhere from, uh, you know, between 1 and 10, basically. The way I kind of do it in my mind, which when I used to write reviews for a website called Comic Stream for about seven years, uh, the way we used to do it was uh, you'd rank uh, out of five for both art and for story, and then you'd give an overall rating, which for me was basically a homogenization of the two. Uh, so I try to kind of hew to that. Uh, that ethos when I'm giving my reviews of the various books that will have come out. So the first book we're going to take a look at is uh, A Plus X number 18. I believe this is the last issue of A Plus X, and uh, probably not a moment too soon. Um, I haven't really been that steadfast a reader of this book. I do like it in theory, the idea that you're having these fun team-ups between predominantly Avengers and X-Men characters. Uh, kind of a, a nice little idea. Um, especially when you have a lot of di- you know different artists and different writers coming together, I just don't think that it's ever really been that big of a seller. Uh, it just I don't think it's really taken hold with most people. Which I I don't know why that is, but it just I feel like it hasn't really been that you know gripping a book. And part of that, and I've always said this in the past, it's unfortunate, but I'm like this too. Is that you know with an anthology book like this, it's hard to feel like it quote unquote matters. Which is I know it's what no comic book creator ever wants to hear, but because of the conditioning over the last 20 or so years, you've come to believe that things have to kind of matter in a shared universe context, and things that don't matter or don't maybe get played up or, or, or somehow, you know, end up being played out in, in other avenues, etc., it makes them somehow lesser. Uh, and I think that's kind of what this book falls into. I mean, DC tried the, uh, what was it, the DC Comics Presents, uh, a noble attempt at having a book where, I think that's what it was called, I'm not really sure, as part of the New 52, but the idea is to have an anthology and a bunch of different stories running in it. You get to try out new creators, new talent, new story ideas, new characters, like it, it potentially is great gold mine. It just doesn't quite ever manage to do that. Uh, there was Marvel Comics Presents, what, less than a decade ago. That didn't really go over too well either. Uh, I think part of it, in, in that case, is that you had, like, long-running serial 
uh, throughout the issues and I just don't know if that's where the market can sustain that anymore. I mean, when it's like $4 for an anthology, I don't know, like, it, well, all books are $4. A lot of books these days are becoming three ninety nine, and, you know, that's not what it used to be. It's not like it's a dollar twenty five or something small. It, it's a, m- a much larger proportion of your income. Like, I can't even imagine being a kid now and having, trying to buy comics. Like, I, when I was buying comics, I could still get comics for like a dollar twenty five or dollar fifty. I, it's insane to even believe that I was ever able to do that with Spider-Man comics in the early nineties. And then when I started buying comics more prevalently in the uh, mid to late nineties, even then they were only like two sixty five. Uh, that these days, I mean, Canadian dollars. I mean, when the Canadian dollar bottomed out in the early two thousands. Our comics skyrocketed. I remember paying routinely three seventy five and four seventy five, and then hearing Americans. My apologies to to American listeners complaining that oh man prices of comics are going up and I'm like I've been there for years obviously because the dollar in Canada was weak at the time but for me as especially as I was growing up and having to pay these crazy prices I actually saw my price of comics drop over the last few years because when our dollar became stronger around 2008 2009 uh, no it was predominantly 2007 and 8. Um, suddenly comics were a little more affordable in Canada because they had to start lowering the prices. Uh, retailers started giving you discounts on the Canadian price, and at this point, now there's only one price given at all, which is technically U.S. cover, and then we usually get discounts on that. So it's definitely different than the way it used to be. Um, I mean, but, I mean, one thing that's nice about the American market, you have places like dcbservice.com, where you have these discount comic book services that are able to sell you comics online at a very good price because shipping within the States is extremely cheap. If you try to do that from Canada, you get charged exorbitant fees, so it actually doesn't really make a lot of sense. So, I mean, again, our my American cousins are able to pay a lot less when it comes to comics, theoretically. Anyways... That was a long diatribe about the price of comics. Uh, so this particular issue has The Vision and Kitty Pride by Jim Kruger and Will Sliney, or Slaney, with uh, the continued Captain America and Cyclops story by Jerry Dugan with David Yarden and Matteo Loli on pencils. Um, I like the story with Kitty Pride and uh, Vision waking up within Arcade's murder world. I actually thought it was kind of a fun story. These two phasing characters... Um, kind of waking up in the middle of, you know, having to deal with Arcade's AI. Very interesting, um, very much a highlight. And then you get the backup story, which was really kind of atrocious and uh, painful to read and just unenjoyable, and I'm glad it was kind of over. Um, so, I mean, the, the first story I probably would have given like an 8, but the second story I gave more like a 4. So, I mean, I'm going to give it maybe a 6 as an average. Uh, it just could have been better. I mean, the, the lead story was actually quite a lot of fun. Um, I liked it a lot. It's just too bad it didn't kind of have a chance to really go anywhere. Uh, next up is uh, Old New X Factor. Um, now, this continues to be a book that I'm surprised that they are pumping it out so quickly. Uh, we're already at issue five. Um, we got Peter David writing it with artwork by uh, Carmine Domenico. Uh, he's doing a great job on the book. Um, I'm a little disappointed with the cover because the cover kind of gives away the, the surprise of the issue. I mean, you're going through this thing where there's this there's this um, organization that Serval may or may not want to try and acquire, and then the this upstart company is like, actually, I want to obtain you, and then the X Factor kind of comes in almost as like an afterthought because uh, the CAO of Serval wants to kind of show off X Factors being like their own superhero adventurers, and then from there you have 
the quick reveal that Warlock, uh, Warlock's father, the, the Magus, is actually the one behind this. And uh, Warlock seems to be in on it as, as well, which is weird because their family dynamic is always supposed to be father versus son. So them working together is very strange. Um, this episode, I just unfortunately don't have as much time to be able to uh, put this episode together. So I'm going to be going a little bit faster than normal in terms of the synopsis if even providing a synopsis in some cases. Um, this, I mean, I did really enjoy the issue as much as I thought that the the cover definitely spoiled the inclusion of Warlock in uh, the Magus, which I think would have been a cooler reveal without it, especially because there's a page where uh, Danger's like, you're not human, and that's kind of like a messed up... If you didn't know what was about to happen because of the cover, it would actually be quite a good series of comics, uh, comic book pages, because the pacing becomes really thrilling. Uh, again, the... the, the kind of the dramaticism is is uh, definitely weakened a little uh, by the inclusion of the cover. Uh, I like that Danger is kind of dealing with what people say and telling her that she's wrong about things is kind of interesting her kind of acclimating to life uh, outside of Utopia and what she used to be. I'm kind of enjoying the way that uh, Peter David is writing her. I'm also kind of really digging his portrayal of Gambit as well. I'm going to give this an 8. I definitely thought it was it was kind of a very fun and enjoyable ride. Uh, next up, speaking of a fun and enjoyable ride, uh, you have uh, All New Ghost Rider. Uh, this is the, the first issue, and I know a lot of people are making fun of it because, you know, it's not, it doesn't appear to be a bike, but instead it's a car. Um, Felipe Smith is riding with Trad Moore on art. Um, I was talking to my friend uh, Leon Orlana, who's been on the episode, sorry, on the show before, and he was like, "Oh, you know, what kind of garbage is this?" And uh, I actually really kind of dug this. Um, the artwork is definitely a little bit different. And I like the idea that you have this character who's kind of dealing with a lot of kind of potential rage issues, and um, his brother is is uh, you know disabled and. You know, there's an early part of here where he gets his ass kicked because he's trying to protect his brother because these toughs are trying to take his wheelchair. Uh, I really kind of like the bonding between these two characters as he's trying to kind of help raise his his uh, his uh, brother and he's trying to you know find a way to pay for everything for his uh, for his brother and kind of provide for a better life. So he decides he's going to trick out his car and he's going to do kind of a fast and furious race and he's gonna he's gonna win and he's gonna win all this money and everything's gonna go great. And uh, instead, the cops show up, and he starts freaking out that, like, if he goes to jail, what's going to happen to his brother? Um, he ends up kind of be getting himself into a very tight corner, and, he, you know, he doesn't want to go to, um, to you know, to, uh, to jail. And then he's, like, he puts up his hands, and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. And then he just gets absolutely riddled with bullets and murdered, which is crazy because there's something in the car that he had taken out, and it looks like they're drugs, and he's kind of left for dead and left to burn. He's, like, shot through, and and, uh, and then he becomes the Ghost Rider instead, gets into the car and drives off. That's really just the first issue. Um, I feel in a lot of ways that this is kind of the modern equivalent to what we got with Danny Ketch becoming Ghost Rider, because I'm sure fans of the original Johnny Blaze were maybe not that excited about this new grunge version of Ghost Rider, which now we think of as being one of the kind of iconic looks for the character. I mean, at the time, it was very kind of different, and they, they were changing the way that the bike looked, the way that um, Ghost Rider himself looked like. The, in the early 90s, this was a huge shift. Uh, the original one is, you know, was a 
you know, a Daredevil cyber performer, but suddenly he was becoming something quite different because it was more influenced by grunge and uh, the kind of the, the motorcycle motif was taking it in a different direction. And that's all I think this is, is just the current kind of rendition of what Danny Ketch was in the early 90s, this character is in the early 2018s. Um, I definitely dug it. The artwork was different, but enjoyable. Uh, it's in a, kind of an intense script when you actually think about it. Like, it's not your father's ghostwriter. It's not fun. I mean, this guy gets absolutely, like, riddled with bullets murdered, uh, or attempted murder anyway, and then, you know, set on fire. Like, it's, it's, it's definitely kind of a gut punch, brutal thing, especially that this character is motivated by altruistic means because he just wants to pr- provide a better life for his brother. Uh, his disabled brother, no less. So I definitely found this extremely enjoyable, a lot more enjoyable than perhaps I thought it was going to be, uh, and I liked it quite a lot. Uh, next up is Amazing X-Men 5. Yet again, a, a very solid debut, not debut, another solid issue by Jason Aaron and M. McGinnis. I don't know exactly when Jason Aaron is getting off this book, but it is coming soon, unfortunately. Uh, this is the Quest for Nightcrawler conclusion. Uh, I like that we get finally get to know more about the Banffs, uh, what the kind of deal is the Nightcrawlers made as we have Nightcrawlers forces go up against uh, Azazel's forces in hell and finally comes up with a way to kind of try and stop Azazel um, the artwork is absolutely gorgeous uh, the way that McGinnis uh, illustrates uh, Nightcrawler is just to die for um, he, I, he often gets a reputation for very bulky characters and he still does that with, with his rendition of uh, Nightcrawler but there's just something about it there's still a feltness to the character uh, next issue looks like Mystique's going to be involved, so that could potentially be really interesting as well. Uh, this was just a lot of fun. I mean, yes, maybe the story wasn't the most original, because it's basically a fight on a pirate ship in heaven, uh, which is kind of weird, but uh, the art is really what sells it and makes it that much more enjoyable. Uh, I'd probably say it's like kind of like a, a 4.5 for art and maybe a 3.5 for story, so overall I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up, I was going to do Aquaman, but then I realized uh, I don't know if I re- read any of my DC books this poten- this week. Uh, I didn't realize it until I was, I was writing on a list of all the comics that I was doing so that I could easily throw in the numbers for the ratings, and I realized I don't think I read anything but uh, Marvel and one book from Image this week. So usually I try to kind of have a smattering of different tastes. Not this case, this week. So if you love DC comics... I'm sorry, you're actually really not going to get anything this week for me, so I apologize, um, which is very Canadian of me. Uh, next up is Avengers 27. Not a huge fan of this storyline. Um, it's, I mean, the whole, alt, um, alt, you got the Adaptoid characters, you also have these weird Avengers from a different reality. Uh, it just, it's not Hickman's best. The whole uh, banner on banner action was like, what, six pages? Like, it went on a really long time. Uh, you had some more stuff with AIM. Like, the actual Avengers show up in very little uh, parts of this book. I mean, it's kind of interesting to see this evil version of the Avengers where Jarvis is actually Iron Man. Um, and it's, I think, General America, this twisted version of Thor. I don't know. Coming off of Infinity, I just expected a little bit more from this. And this just feels kind of a weird storyline for Hickman to kind of focus on. It doesn't feel like it's really part... It kind of reminds me of when he was doing Fantastic Four, where he had this part of this grand narrative that he was obviously constructing. And then when he was kind of done, he wasn't done on the book yet. So you just got these kind of weird fill-in stories. or Not fill-in stories, but stories that felt kind of filled in. Like, they weren't as important to an overall narrative because his narrative was done. Now, I don't think that Hickman's actually done with his ongoing narrative. I just feel like he's kind of 
maybe lost a little bit of steam. So I'm going to give it about a six. Uh, it was okay. I mean, and the Roka's artwork on this as well was not really to my taste. Um, actually, because of Laroca's artwork, I'm actually going to give it a 5.5. He has really lessened himself as an artist, I think, in a, the last little while. I just haven't enjoyed his stuff, and this kind of continues that trend. Uh, next up is Guardians of the Galaxy 13. This brings to an end the Trial of Jean Grey. This is part 6 of 6. Uh, artwork by Sarah Pacelli and David Marquez, who are fantastic two artists, and they really complement each other well, with Brian Michael Bendis on the script. Um... I, I think there's a lot of things kind of going against this. First of all, Jean Grey suddenly being this kind of telekinetic, telepathic character who's been able to merge her abilities in ways she was never able to when she was kind of a proper... when she was an adult who kind of learned all of her powers through time. I'm not sure if I really buy that and her ability to kind of do what she does here going up against any of the Imperial Guard. Uh, I found to be a little bit of a stretch. The way that they just kind of get to leave is really kind of hastily put together. The weird flirtation between Kitty Pride and Star-Lord. Again, I'm not a big fan of this version of Star-Lord. I kind of missed the version that was by Adam Lanning. A little bit more of a dark, darker sardonic wit. Um, Cyclops leaving the X-Men to join with his, his space pirate dad in space. It's a cool idea. I wish we had already known that was going to happen because it kind of loses the punch uh, when we already knew he was leaving. And it kind of further fractures this team that you just got the team back together after Battle of the Atom because you'd, you'd had uh, Angel on his own for a little while with the, with the Uncanny X-Men. So now you have this team together where you have X-23 kind of, kind of working with them as well as with Kitty Pride, And now you have Scott just leave on his own. Um... First of all, the fact that Corsair is actually alive, I think our Scott, like the real Scott, the present Scott, would actually really want to know this. Um, I just felt the storyline ended up feeling a little bit rushed, and maybe he, Bendis proves that sometimes he's really good at lead-up, but when it comes to actually putting things together and giving them a good ending and making there be a payoff for everything that you've been building up to, he kind of fumbles the ball. Um, so I'm going to give it... I mean, the artwork is gorgeous. Um, I feel like the artwork alone is a 4 out of 5, and the storyline is more of a 2. Um, so I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Uh, next up, after Guardians of the Galaxy, we have Iron Patriot number 1. I kind of dug this. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it. Um, it's by Gary Brown and I... Sorry, Alice Coat is writing it with Gary Brown and Art. Definitely a, kind of a different look to it, but um, I... I like how we kind of, you get this kind of uh, present that's happening and it looks like James Rhodes is dead or dying and then you go to two days go to New Orleans, New Orleans, you get the idea of what um, War Machine, sorry not War Machine, Iron Patriot, uh, James Rhodes' current status quo really is and uh, where he's kind of reconnecting with family which I don't really remember ever being a huge part of the character's history before. Um, and you're seeing him as an Iron Patriot and kind of being this protector, and at the end, things kind of go really not so good, and kind of makes me think that this is something that is often done with James Rhodes, is he ends up in the water sinking, and what that kind of does for him in terms of post-traumatic stress. Um, I liked it. I give it a, maybe a 7. I think a 7, just because the art is kind of fun, but again, it's not quite what I expect from a book like this, but I do think it does an able job. Uh, next up is Manhattan Projects number 19. Uh, this continues to be one of my very favorite books. Uh, I just find it so much fun. Uh, this issue, however, is not the greatest issue of Manhattan Projects. Um, partially just because I haven't been a huge fan of what we've been seeing recently in terms of um, 
um, the what, issues 10 and 15 where they've had a different artist uh, so it's not Nick Patara but instead it's uh, was it Ryan Brown uh, and he does the in, you know kind of the inside the Oppenheimer mindscape aspect of the issue and a lot of the issues that the continuation of the Civil War as the uh, the Robert Oppenheimer finally kind of wins and destroys the Joseph Oppenheimer red fragments of the the mind and he's able to kind of go in and uh, has this epic battle against him and then he basically loses and instead the blue version wins and then this is where we kind of see what we saw in the last issue where you have uh, Oppenheimer kind of trying to use this device to kind of succeed and, and beat uh, the 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 uh, the good Oppenheimer in his mind, but instead he loses, which is kind of what I was wondering after the last issue that perhaps it looked like Robert Oppenheimer was winning, and he was actually going to uh, overthrow Joseph Oppenheimer's mind, which I was excited about. But then, of course, in the last issue we saw that uh, Oppenheimer was shot clean through the skull, and he was dead now. And the big question is, who the hell killed him? Well, here, I didn't even pick it up the first time because I was going through the issue. And I didn't even realize that there was a shot of the the, the uh, Rose Bridge opening while Oppenheimer's having his issue. And Albrecht Einstein is uh, busy having a drink and kind of just getting liquored up. And it turns out the man who shoots Oppenheimer right through the skull is none other than, it would appear, the original Albert Einstein who was dispatched in, what, issue 4 or 5 and dumped on the other side of the bridge. And it looks like he's back. And not only is he back, he's a badass with a gun, uh, some sort of, uh, not an eye patch, but like a computer display over his his, uh, left eye. Uh, He looks like he has, like, blades on him. He's got a giant axe, a sword. Like, he looks like a total, you know, uh, action movie badass. And I got to the last end of the issue, and you know, I was like, you know what? Um, most of this issue I wasn't as huge a fan of because the whole Mindscape stuff I'm not as impressed with, not as interested with, and the art isn't necessarily as great as as I'm used to Patara's being. And then you get to the last few pages, and that all changes because now you have you get to see who actually shot him, but you don't get to see much more about it. And now we see it's Einstein. That's fucking awesome. Um, so, I mean, that moment alone, I, I would grade the issue high, uh, but that wouldn't be fair, so really, I'm going to give the issue about a 6.5. The scripting isn't bad, and the art's not bad, it's just not quite to my taste, it's not my favorite style of issues. It's three issues now that uh, have been focused on the Mindscape, and I haven't really been digging them all that much. Although, this issue, because of the big reveal, was much better than the others, I think, because uh, that reveal is fantastic. Um, so that was six and a half. Next up is New Avengers, and this is issue number sixteen point now. Uh, we have a few more books to go, and we're running out of time. So uh, let's see, New Avengers sixteen point now. It is written by Jonathan Hickman with artwork by Rags Morales, who I hadn't seen on a Marvel book in whatever. No, I'm sure he has, but not really sure. So it's kind of interesting to see. Uh, Black Panther and uh, Namor kind of looking at what the bridge is being able to show them and so they're watching uh, basically this Justice League analogs in this one reality uh, the anti-heroic age these uh, it's all about the, the mad science of the xenogeneticist genetics it's definitely a really kind of weird issue um, in terms of watching this alternate you know uh, version of these superheroes that are a lot like the um you know, Batman, Superman kind of analogs because you have a Flash analog, you have a Doctor Spectrum who's obviously, you know, a Green Lantern analog, you have the Jovian who looks a lot like Martian Manhunter, the Norn kind of reminds me of 
of um, uh, Doctor Fate. You have Sun God, who's quite literally Superman, and then the Rider, who seems to be a Batman analog, although they're magic oriented. Uh, it's kind of a fun issue, but it doesn't really move the main storyline uh, along all that much. Uh, but because that's just not the focus, uh, it's focusing on these alternate realities. I feel like Hickman's kind of running into maybe a rut a little with his Avengers books because uh, he's not really saying a lot of new things now. He's just kind of showing old things or different spins. But it, I don't know if the plot is necessarily being advanced all that much. So I'm going to give New Avengers 16 point now, uh, 6.5 out of 10. Then you have Origin 2, number 4. I'm going to give this a 4 out of 10, and I'm being ge uh, generous. I continue to really not enjoy this book at all. Uh, the artwork by Hubert is good, but the storyline is by Gillen is really atrocious. Um, kind of seeing the development of the Sabretooth uh, Wolverine um, dynamic didn't really work for me either. I just, I just didn't enjoy this. It's kind of just a mess. It takes what was beautiful and gorgeous about Origin 1 and just kind of throws it away and it, it just, I don't know, it just seems really cheap and I don't know if this is because of Gillen or this is what the editor wanted when Gillen got the assignment, but it just it doesn't work for me. And I don't know if, I haven't heard anyone really saying it's worked for them either. Uh, next up is Silver Surfer number one. Uh, I, I know this somewhere AJ Reese is returning from Disney World and going, man, I can't wait for you to talk about Silver Surfer. Uh, I actually dug this. Michael Arred is definitely uh, an interesting taste. Uh, to some, he's very much an acquired taste. Uh, he does an amazing job with Silver Surfer because he just kind of gets that sensibility. And it's interesting because you have the two main characters of this book are you have this new character who's a girl who basically never wants to leave where she's grown up. She's grown up in this town in this area and she never really wants to leave it because that's like that's her life that's everything that's important to her and then you have silver surfer who's been everywhere and he's dealing with uh this race and it ends up they end up uh i forget what it's called uh, the reckoner or something like that which is this machine that basically shows a character that can be used for leverage um to manipulate any specific individual so when they use it on Silver Surfer this new character shows up and yet Silver Surfer has no idea who this character even is um, I really liked how Dawn was kind of established as a character I liked the artwork because she's kind of adorable uh, very nice sensibility the pop art sensibility of the artwork is uh, phenomenal Dan Slott maybe not the most obvious choice to write this but I think it does a pretty able job on kind of doing something different and fun with Silver Surfer because too often Silver Surfer is not really used for kind of fun or even examination or exploration of, of humanity, of what it means to kind of be a being. Uh, he just is kind of usually, like, he, he's just he's just never usually done in a fun way. He's usually more much more serious, much more stoic, and I'm excited to see what Dan Slott continues to bring uh, to the character going forward from here. Uh, so I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Very solid debut as part of All New Marvel Now. Uh, next up, Superior Spider-Man 30. Well, this is a big one. Uh, this was kind of the... This is the second last issue of Superior Spider-Man. Uh, in a lot of ways, it really is the last issue of Superior Spider-Man, depending on how you look at it. Uh, it's written by Slot and Christos Gage. Sorry, Dan Slot plotted it with script by Christos Gage. Um, and you have... It's uh, illustrated by Giuseppe Camincoli. Uh, the first part of the issue is Spider-Man 2099 and Spider-Man fighting against the uh, Spider-Slayers that have been taken over by uh, Osborn. Uh, Spider-Man, or the Doc Ock Spider-Man, then, then takes off. While in the Mindscape, you have Peter 
kind of reliving the end of uh, his own life as Otto kind of takes over the mind and body of Spider-Man. Um, you have the, you know all across New York, the uh, spider stars are everywhere. You have Jameson kind of being uh, his his uh, administration is kind of crumbling, and he's trying to kind of fight back and say that you know his spider stars were you know defective because of Alchemax, and Alchemax kind of says, you know what, we told him he wasn't ready, and then we got a big kind of uh, monkey wrench where it appears that somehow Liz Allen is involved in what's going on with Green Goblin because she's holding a mask. We don't really give a lot of context as to why, but that's definitely going to come up in the last issue. Uh, Spider-Man tracks Menace, and uh, while we see that, we also see uh, Peter realizing, wait a minute, I'm not I'm I'm not Otto. I am Peter Parker, and he remembers a lot about his life. So is he still just restricted to the thirty-one, or does he now remember it all somehow? It was all still in his mind. Perhaps it's unclear. Uh, Spider-Man thinks he's about to protect and defend uh, Anna Maria, but instead it turns out that it's the, uh, the 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 girl Amy Chen from number issue number eight, and he doesn't know what to do because he's she's about to be killed by a subway car, and uh, the Spectre version of Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker, is like you have to jump even though Otto didn't know what to do because he was thinking that if I die, who's going to save Anna Maria? Uh, and at this point, you know, Otto basically says, you know, uh, I can't do this. Peter Parker can do this. He can be the hero, but I, I can't do this. I, I failed. Uh, so he puts on the helmet that we've seen before when he previously deleted himself and, sorry, deleted Peter Parker's memories, but now he deletes Otto instead. And then Peter, you know, has a tear in his eye, gets up, takes off his costume, puts on the classic costume, and just says, it's my turn. Um, I'm very conflicted on this issue just because uh, I, I really dug uh, what was going on with Superior Spider-Man, and seeing him give up that quickly is a little bit of a left turn, um, but it's kind of interesting to see uh, how that's being uh, kind of handled. Um, I don't know. It, there's still I just feel like there's so much to get done in that last issue. I am glad that we saw Peter Parker take over here. Uh, but it makes me more curious as to how, why is he going to have very little memories of who he really is if it looks like here like he has a pretty good sense of things. Uh, I'm also concerned about, you know, now it, what Otto's memories are gone. So, like, not only is Otto going to be gone, but his legacy's gone too. Like, I don't know, that kind of rang a little bit untrue for me that he would actually do that. And to be honest, I'm also really going to miss the costume because I love the costume and the way, especially the way Cameron Goldie illustrates it. And uh, I like the... Um, the gauntlets on the side as well. I thought they were great, but no, this was was this was quite good. Um, I mean, I'm still very much wondering where they're going to go with it and uh, the kind of potential cl- uh, change to what's going on with the goblin mask being in Liz Allen's hand, uh, the crumbling of Jameson's uh, regime. I just feel like the the last issue, 31, has so much to do that I'm a little bit worried about. It's going to have too much to do that it's going to feel very hollow because it's going to be just kind of ticking off all the different things that have to be done and not really making sure that everything's kind of handled appropriately. And next up is Superior Spider-Man Team-Up number 11. Man, I was torn on this issue. On the one hand, I love that we're getting uh, an issue by Ron Friends. Uh, At the same time, the the continuity stickler in me feels that it can't really exist in the timeline. It just doesn't quite work right. But if you forget about that, it is kind of an interesting story of, you know, these two guys never really met, which is interesting. Uh, Norman and Otto never came face to face. So what if they actually had a team up that we didn't know about when Norman was preparing to come back into the 
you know, into Spider-Man's life back when he was in Europe, uh, before he returned, I guess, at the end of Revelations, which ended the Clone Saga, uh, and before, I guess, Otto would have died in and around this period, uh, because it's obviously set after Carnage had come out, so there wasn't kind of that much time before Doc Ock would have died, but he's in his white lab coat, which is, again, indicative of that period, uh, artwork by Marco Cicchetto and Ron Friends, and, um... Actually, I guess Marco Cicchetto just is one issue, but he still gets cover building. Ron Friends is page 2 to 20, and Kevin Shinnick is writing it. Um, you know, it, it's an enjoyable story. Again, it's very kind of classic old-school look to all the characters. I mean, that's because of Ron Friends, and uh, with very much a, a kind of a Buscema vibe, uh, which is because he does the inks over Friends. So, I mean, sometimes you wonder how much of um, Buscema's look was in his pencils and his inks, and... Really, uh, his inks really do change Friends' work a lot. Not in a bad way. Uh, now, I wish this had kind of been done in one story, but it would appear that this is part of one of two, as Doc Ock uh, is going to have to deal with the fact that he's dealing with a crazy psychopath, as evidenced by the last page cliffhanger, which I won't say anything more about, because, you know, maybe you want to read this issue and be surprised. In uh, the last book, so I'm going to give Superior Spider-Man Team Up 11 a uh, 7.5 out of 10. And the last book that we're going to look at is Uncanny Avengers 18 point now. Uh, I did enjoy this. I think uh, it wasn't as strong as the previous issues. I don't think Akuna's artwork was as strong as it had been um, in his previous issues that he'd been doing of Uncanny Avengers. But the story, uh, we're kind of jumping into the, you know what's going on on this new... Um, what is it? Planet Axe or whatever they're calling it. It was this new mutant world uh, that has... You know, been established. Um, we have Havoc and his wife, that's right, wife Wasp, trying to uh, bring down the Tachyon Dam, and it appears it works. And even though they're expecting Immortus, instead they have Kang show up with his own group, uh, which includes a Deathlock, Iron Man 2020, uh, the uh, May Parker version of Venom from Earth X, uh, Ahab, Strife, a version of Thor, and uh, would appear Doom 2099. So, Interesting issue, maybe not the greatest artwork. I, I feel like maybe th this there was a little bit less momentum, and seeing more and more of just these two characters trying to stop the Tachyon Dam, which we've seen already. But um, I'm more excited for next issue now that we have the time travel elements in these a disparate team of characters brought together by Kang, which is really cool and definitely kind of reminds me of Avengers Forever and that kind of idea. So I do dig that. So I'm going to give the issue a seven out of ten. Again, not the strongest Akuna artwork, but again, he's been much better on this book than he's been in any other book I've ever seen him on. Uh, books I didn't get a chance to look at this week include a lot. There's a lot of them. There's, uh, oh man, I gotta, I gotta get ready for this. Adventures of Superman 11, All-Star Western 29, uh, Aquaman 29, Avengers Assemble 25, Batman Dark Knight 29, Beware the Batman number 6, Brilliant number 5, Captain America Homecoming number 1, Catwoman 29, DC Universe vs. Mass Universe number 6, Dead Boy Detectives 24, Deadpool 26, Fables 139, Flash 29, Forever Evil Argus number 6, Forever Evil Farag's Rebellion number 6, George Romero's Empire of Dead Act 1 number 3, Hawkeye number 18, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe number 11, uh, Indestructible Hulk number 20, Injustice Year 2 number 3, Justice League Dark number 29, Larflees number 9, Marvel Knights X-Men number 5, Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man 24, Miracle Man number 4, Red Lanterns 29, Revolutionary War Omega number 1, Sandman Overture number 2, Sa Savage Wolverine number 16, Suicide Squad Amanda Waller number 1, Superman number 29, Survive 
one, uh, the one shot by Marvel. Talon 17, which I believe is the last issue or almost the last issue. Uh, Teen Titans 29, Wake number 7, and World's Finest number 21. That is a mouthful. Uh, as a, a quick kind of look forward at what's coming out this coming week on April 2nd, um, let's take a look at both Marvel and DC for this. Excuse me as I pull up this list. Uh, so from uh, on the DC side of things coming up, we've got, um, I guess the, the Doom storyline is starting in Action Comics. I believe that's where it's starting. Uh, the launch of Aquaman and the Others, number one. Uh, you have the Batman 66 hardcover, volume one. Uh, which is exciting for those who haven't been reading it in digital only. Uh, you have Batman Beyond, Batgirl Beyond, Jay Paperback, new issues of Batwing, of Detective Comics, which is the launch of the Francis Manipal and Brian Bucciolato co-written run with them on art. Earth twenty two, Earth two number twenty two is coming out. Uh, new issues of Green Arrow, Green Lantern, uh, both with issues thirty. Uh, you have uh, Justice League hardcover volume four, The Grid, uh, which is I don't even know which stories that's supposed to really capture. Uh, I guess maybe some of the uh, Forever Evil stuff? I'm not really sure. Uh, Justice League Trade Paperback Volume 3, Thorn of Atlantis is coming out, so that's exciting for those who uh, wanted a good Justice League story. You'll definitely get it there. It was a good story. Uh, new issues of Movement, Stormwatch, a new edition of the Superman Red Sun storyline, and Vampire Diaries number 4 coming out as well. Uh, from, let's see, Image Comics, uh, new issues of Secret, uh, Shotgun Wedding number 1, uh, and a few other books like Black Science, Artifacts, etc. Uh, then moving on to Marvel, we have um, the original graphic novel Amazing Spider-Man Family Business, uh, new issues of Black Widow with number 5 already, uh, Captain America number 19, Captain America Winter Soldier number 1 Director's Cut, uh, you have the launch of the Deadpool vs. Carnage series, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the newest iteration, gets its first trade paperback soft cover. Uh, Inhuman finally launches with issue, with issue number one, which is really laid out of the gate. Uh, Loki, Agent of Asgard number three, Magneto number two. Uh, the trade paperback for Marvel Knight Spider-Man First Night. Uh, you've got uh, Moon Knight number two by Warren Ellis and I think Declan Shalvey. I can't quite remember now. It might be Kev Walker, actually. I can't remember. Uh, New Warriors issue three uh, has... A, three issues already. I mean, that's pretty aggressive. Uh, Punisher number four, She-Hulk number three, Spider-Man first trade paperback, which is a weird, weird version of a trade paperback where it's just a lot of different issue number ones throughout Spider-Man's history, which the more and more you get into the current, uh, more recent stories, the more you're getting, like, maybe a fraction of a story because everything's part of a long you know, storyline these days, and not just in a done one anymore. Uh, you have Star-Lord, Tears for, for Heaven, Trade Paperback, Superior Spider-Man Hardcover Volume 2, Ultimate Spider-Man 200, um, and then you got What If, Age of Ultron number 1, and for those who love the Age of Apocalypse and all of the uh, side stuff, you have the Age of Apocalypse uh, Omnibus Companion coming out as well. Anyways, thank you very much for listening to me ramble about these comic books. Uh, our next episode will be episode, I guess, 158, I believe, uh, which will be an episode looking at the Winter Soldier, which is coming out on, wow, uh, just a few days uh, from when I record this, which is uh, the 1st of uh, April. It's coming out in three days, April 4th. Cannot wait that evening. I will be doing a podcast about the movie with Tibor Mate, Paul Scorez, and potentially a newcomer to the podcast, uh, Chris Lucas, who will... Uh, Theoretically, should be on the show, but he may or may not be able to attend the podcast. But uh, hopefully, he'll be on to give a, kind of a non 
He'll actually come at it at, with a, the same kind of perspective as T-Bar, I'd imagine, as being a fan of movies, fan of the comic book movies, but not really knowing a lot about the comic books themselves, whereas Paul and I will be much more on the contingent of fans who know more about the, both the Winter Soldier and Captain America um, and kind of come from a different perspective. Anyways, thank you for very much for joining me for episode 157. Please uh, email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Also, rate and review us on iTunes, please. It's the best way to uh, grow the show's audience. Uh, also, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or post in the HD Realms thread as well as to be part of the conversation and uh, communicate with me directly about what you'd like to see on the, uh, seri- on the show in the future. Anyways, thank you very much for joining me for Comic Shenanigans episode 157. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, signing off, and I will see you next time with episode 158. Bye-bye.